Hi, welcome to Bible Study for Regular People. I'm Tana, and this podcast is for those of us who are not Bible scholars or experts and really engaging in daily Bible study goes about as well as our last diet. At least, that's how it tends to go for me. This is my intention to make Bible study convenient and fun, so you can just listen along or you can grab your Bible and follow along. Let's get started. This is episode 17 of Bible Study for Regular People. We will be reading Psalm 14, which is one from David, and also Psalm 127, which is a really, really short psalm from Solomon. And I'm really excited that the next thing we'll pick up on from him is Proverbs, because Proverbs is one of my all-time favorite books. And then in the New Testament, I'll be reading primarily from Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. And this is where Jesus prays in the garden and is then arrested. So welcome. I'm excited for this section today. And let's get to it. Psalm 14. The theme is only the fool denies God. How foolish it must seem to God when people say there is no God. Hmm. Author is David for the choir director Psalm of David, verse 1. Only fools say in their hearts there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. I don't know if you've ever... I don't know if it's maybe watch the news too much or see some uh, strangers yelling at each other or, you know, just some rather disappointing human behaviors. But I've, I felt like what David is expressing here, everybody's corrupt, you know, and just gotten a very cynical attitude. So I can kind of relate with that. Although from what he says in verse four, it says they eat up my people like bread and, and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. It seems what he's talking about here are his enemies, not necessarily everyone, including the nation of Israel. Psalm 127. This is Solomon's second psalm, and it is only five verses. 
The theme is a life without God is senseless. All of life's work, building a home, establishing a career, and raising a family must have God as the foundation. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a Psalm of Solomon. This is 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. I love a footnote that I have here. It says, too often children are seen as liabilities rather than assets, but the Bible calls children a gift from the Lord, a reward. We can learn valuable lessons from their inquisitive minds and trusting spirits. Those who view children as a distraction or nuisance should instead see them as an opportunity to shape the future. We dare not treat children as an inconvenience when God values them so highly. Amen to that. And I'm brought back to the first verse where he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. And this is not the only scripture that refers to children as arrows, uh, a weapon to fight the enemy, the enemy being Satan, and that it's parents' jobs to raise their children as though they are arrows that they will shoot out into the world that then go on to fight the enemy. Uh, and it, it does kind of seem here, he's saying, you know, what good is all your hard work and your many children if you don't have God they're not going to be those area, those arrows for God. I just think that's interesting that children are referred to as arrows multiple times in scripture. We don't normally think of them that way, but I think that can give a different perspective when we think about how we're raising them. Are we raising them to be dependent? Are we raising them to be independent are we raising them to know God and also to be able to fight Satan in in this world in the New Testament we're moving out of the section of Jesus's teaching in John and we're bouncing back over to Matthew picking up our timeline of him moving towards the crucifixion. So we are in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. This particular section of storyline is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I will be reading only out of Matthew. And as always, if there's any juicy little tidbits in the other versions, then I'll share those. So this is Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. This is Jesus agonizing in the garden. 
Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Mark's version is very similar to Matthew's, but Luke adds some detail. And remember, Luke was a physician, and his entire gospel focuses a lot on the human element. Uh, Luke 22, verse 41, it says, He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he adds, Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. So it's Luke's version that adds that his sweat was like blood because of the extreme amount of grief, stress, and anguish that he was in. Matthew 26, verse 4. 47 continues, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? 
I was there teaching every day, but this all uh, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Mark's version in chapter 14, verse 50 and 51, adds what seems to be rather a comical detail in this really serious story. Uh, it says, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. So he's been arrested. Uh, it says, one young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. John's version specifies that it was Peter who drew the sword uh, and cut the man's ear off. And Luke, of course, the doctor who likes who tends to focus on healings and miracles and, and, uh, uh, God, uh, Jesus, the human side of things. Um, it says after the ear was struck off verse 51 from Luke chapter 22, but Jesus said no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And again, in John's version, which comes from chapter 18 in verse four, Jesus actually steps forward to meet them uh, and asks, who are you looking for? Of course, he knows good and well they're looking for him, but they reply, Jesus of Nazarene, and he replies, I am he. And how it's written, I am, is in all capitals and how that particular phrase is translated is is something more like the I am is here or I am the Lord he's saying I am God I am I am the God in human form I'm the one you're looking for when he said I am he they all drew back and fell to the ground once more he asked them who are you looking for and again they replied Jesus the Nazarene and he tells them one more time I told you that I am he Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to, to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. In reading my footnotes for this section, in response to when Jesus is praying and he comes back and finds them asleep and he tells them uh, to watch and pray and, and to not give in to temptation, a footnote on this reads, you may not face execution for your faith, but you probably face many problems that wear you down. You deal with irritating people whom you must love and serve. You face the burden of unfinished tasks or lack of obvious results. You cope with helpers who let you down or fail to comprehend. Remember that in times of great stress, you are vulnerable to temptation, even if you have a willing spirit. And I just related to that a lot because when I'm really feeling stressed, I tend to be more vulnerable to not having a kind tone or being more focused on an object or a task than I am on the people. Uh, it says, Jesus explained how to resist. One, keep watch, stay awake and be morally vigilant. Two, pray to God. This is how you maintain your vigilance. Three, seek support of friends and loved ones. This is how you build up your resistance and help others. 
When one is weak, others are strong. Four, focus on the purpose God has given you. This is how you do God's will and not your own. And I just thought that was a really great uh, addition here. And what a great reminder that when we're feeling stressed and our temptation to get um, lax or snippy or you know, not our best version of ourselves is there, we can practice self-awareness. We can pray. We can seek support from those that we trust and love. And we can focus on what is our purpose in this world. And maybe drawing on those things can give us strength in, in times of, of dealing with difficult difficulties in this life. So where this leaves us off is that Jesus is now arrested and he will never again be in the same position he has been for the last three years with his apostles and his disciples and they will never be again. Now he will, after he rises from the dead, see them again and even share some fish with them. But it all, it all happens after this, the very reason the earth was created and that Jesus came to the earth for us is about to conclude with him dying for the sins of every human who ever lived and every human who ever will.